Welcome to Associated, the podcast of making venture capital more accessible. I'm Lois, and today I've got the pleasure of co-hosting with the lovely Petra. Hey, Petra, how's it going? Hi, guys. Um, you know what? It's it's good. It's a very October day, and um, I also have construction going on right outside my window. So apologies if there's a lot of clattering in the background. But my home is literally wrapped in scaffolding and workmen right now. Hmm. Okay, you've got a lot to contend with then. I thought that I was struggling with the rain, but that's a bit much, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really excited today because Daisy Onobog from BACT is not only someone that obviously works with us in the ecosystem, but um, I would consider a great friend. And she's currently in, not in London, Daisy, you are in? Berlin these days. Very cool. So Daisy, we actually met quite and we use this word so often on the podcast, serendipitously, because we met at a mutual friend's dinner and you happened to be dating a friend of mine and we were sat next to each other. And then <laughs> during the dinner, we just got on so well. And I thought, man, we need to just like go for coffee again. <laughs> I think we didn't get our shit together enough to make plans for a while but we were texting back and forth and then we ended up getting introduced by another by I think a colleague of mine who was like oh um this person reached out to the VC <laughs> platform community and they're really looking for help and such and such could you talk to them and I was like yeah yeah sure and <laughs> and we're like, oh. been, <laughs> we've several messages into the thread where I was like wait a minute Petra we've met before oh my yeah. gosh that's so fun the universe wants you to be friends so here we are found time since for for lots of hangouts maybe not enough at least some yeah at least some um so why don't you give us a little bit of you know a run through uh you know you've you've had this really amazing experience of living everywhere really you know you've, you've been in dublin and london and now you're in berlin and you started in the ecosystem but kind of at, at a different end of it um so for those who you know don't know you and for our listeners can you give us a bit of a rundown of you know where you started to where you are now yeah happy to if you want to keep it short so i i grew up mostly in ireland uh well between nigeria and ireland and first i studied law and i thought that's all I wanted to do in the world. And then about six months in or so, maybe just a little bit longer than that, uh, at a, a law firm, I was like, maybe I should take a break because I only really picked this because somebody called me mouthy when I was like seven years old and said it was a good career for mouthy young girls. And I'm like, that's fair. But on the other hand, it's a bit of a tenuous basis on which to build the rest of my life. So I'm like, I'll take a quick break and I'll come back in about six months or so. And then six months turned into two years at Web Summit, which is, I guess, my first inroad or incursion into tech or venture as a space but obviously coming from a very different direction primarily like convening events that brought you know all of these various groups together so they could do deals make partnerships etc etc but that at least got me curious about tech and then I thought it might be interesting to work in-house somewhere be part of building something rather than just gathering the builders together I'm like maybe I'm a specialist not a generalist let's see how it goes and I worked for a startup called Rome for a while which was uh, R-O-A-M, not R-O-M-E. And we were, you know, trying to build co-living, I guess, maybe before it was a thing. And we had like quite a lot of success very quickly. And then 
a lot of <laughs> burn also very quickly um, without a second round coming in. So it was the closest I guess I'll ever come to being like in the driver's seat for a startup, building the spaceship while it's flying and then crashing and then burning. And after that, I thought, I kind of want to go back to being a generalist. I want to go back to dealing with multiple subjects and trying very quickly to learn and upskill in an area I've never been, you know, I've never come across before. And I thought initially that might mean going back to events. And so I was going to join Slash actually, um, mostly just to stick it to Web Summit. But then somebody introduced me to the back team and in general introduced me to a new way of thinking about venture because I'd only ever associated it with like stuffy PE types or the like dark side of tech where like everyone's building to save the world and these money guys are ruining it um would have been the way that I thought about it um beforehand uh and I talked to Reshma at Seed Camp and she was like no actually you know there's lots of early stage funds now that are thinking differently about community and network and impact and founder support and focusing on subjects like mental health etc that was the context in which I got introduced to act and when I first joined it was really just to try and build out a scout program at the beginning, very, very similarly to, you know, how it had already been successful um, on the West Coast in the US with Sequoia Scouts and similar others. We quickly pivoted from that. I, well, you know, in some ways did realize that wholesale copy pasting what had worked for Sequoia wasn't going to work for us because, you know, we don't have a huge amount of capital to like either dole out uh, for people to invest in our behalf or really in a position to sort of give out carry to lots and lots of people. But it's good because it put pressure on us to think what could a real community experience that was as valuable to the people who involved as capital could be. Um, what could that look like? And that's kind of what I've been spending my time doing since, building that out. And then more recently, we've sort of changed it again <laughs> to reflect sort of trying to take care of the broader ecosystem of people around the fund who want to be helpful to the fund. So switching out, I guess, from a scout network to a broader sort of sourcing community um, or helping community, whatever it is you want to call it. And that's, that's where I am now. Awesome. Do you actually find that you apply any of the stuff you learned when you're studying law now? Or is that like, no, not at all? In some ways, yes. Like in actually some specific ways, really, yes. Like, at, you know, Rome, I spent a lot of time writing like cease and desist letters when people would use the term Rome. This is a super common name. I don't know why we ever picked it. Um, and also it would sometimes like try and squirm us out of, I don't know, certain like legal constraints with rental contracts that we signed that couldn't ultimately fulfill and all sorts of other things I probably shouldn't be saying on a podcast. But anyway, so sometimes specifically, yes, it comes up. In my personal life, it comes up. Like, I think law is a weirdly general degree that just doesn't get treated as so. I often think if you don't know what you want to do, um, honestly, just pick law because all you really get taught about is like one, critically disassembling something to understand a little bit better. And I think two, kind of understanding the way the world around you works. You sort of, you understand like, how rent contracts are supposed to work. So it's a lot harder for someone to screw you over or how, you know, almost any of the kind of institutions that you will deal with as you get older, as you, as you grow up, how they function, why they function and what your rights are, et cetera. So I, I kind of think it's like this, you know, secret insight into what's happening behind the scenes and whatever you're dealing with. And I kind of think that helps. Um, and so, yeah, it, it feels like it keeps coming up at least the training, I don't know, that I got in that context, even if not necessarily the like specific nuances of land law um, or <laughs> contract construction. I think that's so cool because you know, even in a VC role, even as an associate, actually legal contracts come up all the time. And I think there's a real opaqueness around them. But actually, if you demystify it, like you say, it really is just about breaking things down, understanding them. And, you know, you can always translate them in your own head into plain English and have the conversation and yeah. then get something written down again. So I think that's a 
top tip for people who might be considering <laughs> what their career path looks like? For sure. I think, yeah, when in doubt, do a law degree and then from there you go wherever because it, <laughs> it doesn't really hem you into anywhere, but it does seem to give you skills that you keep using in the future, even if it's just to call bullshit on things. Um, <laughs> you otherwise wouldn't know that you can. That is a big skill. And Desi, what was your exact role at Rome? So I was at head of operations and community because a big part of you know what how Rome is supposed to work was that no matter where in the world you you know entered a Rome property, there would be um, the same sort of experience and certainly the same sort of community experience. And so we were trying to think about how to make it less ad hoc and less random how community functions. So we had you know like lots of community managers on site at various different you know, locations from Tokyo to San Francisco to London um, to Miami and trying to think, you know, how do you create almost like a playbook for what is community? How does it get rolled out? How does it get designed? And then how do you train up um, a network of people to sort of like move in sync? So it was a really interesting challenge um, and one that I got to unfortunately spend very little time on before then I spent most of my time like fundraising and being like an in-house lawyer and just like running around putting out fires which is sort of pretty typical startup stuff so I don't regret how it went but it is nice that I'm now in a role that I get to spend a little bit more time thinking about community as a subject and how it works and how you bring it alive and you know all of those pet things that I just enjoy thinking about. And diving deeper into the aspect of community because I think that this is probably in itself a new role in VC. I, I guess that a lot of the skill set behind it is, it is is perhaps embedded in or was embedded in the investors and it prior as sort of like an aside. Mm -hmm. But now it's it's almost become, I guess, productized in a person as this is now a full function. And yeah. so breaking community down, what does that look like? How does it benefit, you know, the portfolio? Does it benefit the investors as well? Yeah, so, you know, in some ways, community is really simple, especially in the context of venture, right? Because the way I think about it is just community is what powered everything before we had other ways of incentivizing each other, right? Like if you think before really capital existed or mattered, or even after it existed, but it wasn't really the system by which we organized, I don't know, human society. The reason people did things for you was because of some sort of relationship of trust or proximal trust. And that's just all community is. Like, how do I get someone who otherwise would not do anything for me or would do a certain amount as agreed, but not go above and beyond? How do I change that with relationships? And then ideally with a system of relationships, because I can then, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, but then as soon as I'm trying to take care of 50 odd people, that becomes really unsustainable. And so instead you try to build like a network so they're all taking care of each other, all that goodwill is generated and that goodwill then ends up translating into whatever it is that you need, right? That might be deal flow being sourced for you. That might be advisory services for your portfolio. Um, that might be, you know, sourcing talent for your portfolio or indeed for you as a fund. So pretty much almost everything that venture requires is run on relationships from sourcing the deals to, you know, diligencing them to winning them and then like supporting them after that investment. And for a long time, we thought that it made sense to do that ad hoc because this is in general how we, you know, operate, I think as a species, we start doing something first, kind of accidentally bumbling around and then we're like, oof, we really need to do this. And um, maybe a little bit more systematic and more efficient. And then eventually it turns into like, I don't know, like a field of human endeavor or whatever. And then there, you know, become all sorts of ideas and, um, processes by which it's done and then then it lives in sort of certain people who take up the mantle of that function I think that's now what's happened um, I think also some of it is just 
ventures become more competitive. And so the things that maybe you could do relatively sloppily, you can't anymore. And that scene, you know, it realized all the way from platform itself being a function and platform in the sense of post-investment support being formalized um, and sort of people being specifically responsible. Now you have to re-show up in quite specific ways. The same is now true, I think, for stakeholder management and for finding and incentivizing the group of people that a fund needs in order to do what it does really well. So for our listeners who are interested in pursuing a similar role, who are extremely focused and, and interested in building personal relationships and understanding what's valuable for a young startup, what would you advise them? Is it even possible to pursue a role such as the one that you have? I think increasingly, yes, but it's still really random, right? Like my role, I largely, I think this is true for probably anyone who's in any of the spaces around platform. I think you largely make it up as you go along. Usually one particular need is recognized, right? And that's what you get pulled in for. And everyone has their own version of it. Some people came into platform through like data needs and funds needing to be more data driven. And so they bring in somebody with like a you know computational background and suddenly they're like, well, while wow, you're here, or actually no one even tells you, you just recognize there are a bunch of gaps and you start filling them. And at some point, because I don't know, human beings have this desire to make linear narratives out of all the like nonsense we're doing, you start describing it coherently and then wrapping a little ribbon around it and you call it a job. Um, and so I think that is still where we are, but usually that's just the first wave, right? A bunch of people come along, make up what needs to be done and then they put a certain like shine on it. And like, I have zero intentions of leaving back anytime soon and I'm really happy, but you know, in theory, if I moved on, I would then have a, an actual JD that I could describe that put all of this stuff that at some point was just like random activity into some degree of coherence. And I'd be like, okay, can I get someone who can, you know, source a network, who can create products and tools that keep that network really happy and really satisfied, build processes to, you know, leverage that goodwill and take in whatever it is, the deal flow, the talent, et cetera, and make the most out of it for the funds perspective. I might also be like, oh, and while you're here, can you also, you know, be responsible for DNI strategy and the investment team and like engage the ecosystem in the UK and in Europe that is sort of trying to diversify uh, who gets funded and all of what is happening right now makes it very difficult I think for someone to like embark on that path apart from just picking one element within the constellation of the end like looking for someone who needs that using that as your gateway in sort of crowbarring your way into the fund um, by being helpful in that one respect and then while you're there sort of trying to like pull in as much as actually you don't even have to try you end up pulling in all sorts of additional responsibilities because someone has to do it i do think not very long from now it will be relatively more standard because there'll be a sort of cleaner idea of what do these roles entail what does a fund need as it relates to community or stakeholder management or ecosystem engagement um, and how could you put that down in some sort of like coherent job description and find someone to come into that role and then it will be quite interesting to see what sort of implications that has for like what people study, what paths look like, et cetera. Right now, it's all quite random and it's all quite messy, but it never stays that way for long. That's very thoughtful. Um, I just want to jump back a little bit to something you said about incentivization that, that really interested me and in how you think about community. Because we had an episode with Matt Pennycard from Ada Ventures a couple of weeks ago. They launched their scout program recently and we spoke a little bit about sort of incentivization structures to do with scout programs and some of that is monetary some of that is like you talked about trust-based and about reciprocal relationships but i wondered if you could talk to us in a bit more detail about your view on that and the best way to incentivize a program of scouts yeah so i think there's no right or wrong way i think a lot of it depends on like 
what like and they say this for building any networks right like what is it that you need exactly and what would it take for someone to get to that point because there's a point of i don't know what you want to call it goodwill or willingness or intention that people have to stand on in order to deliver what you want in exactly the way that you want and it's about trying to figure out you know what's the gap between where they're starting out and that place and then what can i do that is that most efficiently gets them there and sometimes it really will be totally enough for it to be capital based but there are also situations where you you know dole out capital but then it's misaligned right so you know they are being paid but that's actually not the thing that most matters to them or they most need or actually would really keep their attention on you and what you need them to do i think in lots of ways capital is easier and more straightforward but the reason we kind of came up with it anyway is a system of incentives because making someone happy means doing something that they need if in the absence of like an intermediary like capital you have to like actually go meet them at the point of value so if the thing that they really need right now is to learn something you have to be responsible for teaching them or helping them with that thing or the thing they need is to like go to the algarve you have to bring them there somewhere because that's what favors are is doing something that makes that someone really needs right now and if you capital you just be like i'm just going to give you this and then you can go do whatever it is that you want you can go make yourself happy and i've been proxy responsible and so in lots of ways this is cleaner more efficient more straightforward and i think is a good option but then i think where you can get to if you go a different path without a necessity or choice which is you know non monetary incentives I think the depths of kind of relationships you can build and incentives you can build can go much further because if I actually travel with you to the point of value that you want I haven't just given you something and we've left it at that we've moved there together we might end up then collaborating like far beyond whatever we initially meant to do and I think that's where you introduce like serendipity like i have no idea what some of the relationships that you know have been built between bat and people in our community or within each other might go like i have no idea what that looks like in 10 years i think that's quite exciting and so if you're in a position to do it that way or indeed to do both right like there's some bonds in a position to do both and that's really amazing but i think it all comes down to that i was talking to somebody at speed invest they said that they were looking at what to do and trying to decide and i said ultimately it comes down to do you want to hire someone full time to try and take care of this and build a community build a network and be responsible for all the things it needs to survive or do you want to like give carry or do like capital to invest because while they're not quite binary so if you don't want to do the second one then you have to do the first sometimes the mistake people make is that they do sort of neither like don't sort of give any financial incentive which at the very least would mean that on a baseline people are aligned and they're ready to go for you and then they also like make it everybody's half responsibility who have other full-time gigs um to sort of take care of the group of people and that really doesn't work so i think like try and figure out what it is that you need in order to get whatever it is you need out of people and be willing to do that and if it if you can't do capital then make sure that you can task someone with designing a like a program or an experience that is as if not more valuable to people. Yeah, I think the concept of platform and community is so different from fund to fund. I remember how we thought about it at Index is very different to what I'm doing now at Mantere and building it from the ground up and it sounds quite similar to what you're doing at Bact. You mentioned earlier that you were hesitant to move into venture. What what was it about Bact that made you feel like okay this is potentially very interesting this is a safe space for me what was it about back to that made you feel like okay this is a a safe space for me that's a really good question i think whatever the itch is that makes people feel like they have to be part of helping the world or changing it or responsible for 
progress in some way. I think I have that. I am like, I'm uncertain under no illusions about the impact any one individual can have. So it's less about you know, the world needs me to save it and more like, I find it a lot easier to sleep at night if I can like touch or like or, or point to something that I'm doing that makes it a little bit better. Um, I think I've always been one of those people that's like almost preoccupied with like the pain or negatives or like sort of injustices in the world. Um, and the only thing then that acts as a sort of like balm or salve for that is being able to say, okay, well, I'm doing this bit or I'm helping in this way or I'm being part of whatever changes I want to see. But I also also struggle with the fact that I'm like personally really ambitious. I do want to be successful within whatever like the constraints of that mean. I do want to be comfortable. I've grown up poor and I don't like that. And I would certainly like to be like financially independent as far as possible. And trying to marry those two things has always really felt like, you know, a contradiction that's eventually going to clash and <laughs> collapse. But what fact and what, you know, I guess what you might call like modern, like young VC felt like, felt like an opportunity to maybe marry both of those, because at least I recognize having an impact in what sort of businesses emerge, what sort of business leaders emerge, what they choose to build and how they choose to build it potentially has a huge amount of impact on like the world around you. And I was like, well, that's, if, if that's all that I do, then that's something, right? If all, if I, that's what I do is get in bed with a fund that is willing to take responsibility for like what kind of founders do they help raise, right? Um, what kind of organizations do those founders choose to build? Like, how do the people who work at those organizations feel and how do they get to feel? And like, and you know, can you just increase the net happiness in the world by virtue of making people build intentional organizations that do that, right? Because you almost want a future where if we have to have businesses, then they take full responsibility for being places that people are happy to be in, that they thrive in, that their lives are made better for being part of those organizations, whatever it is that they happen to be doing. And ideally, that bit is true. And also, the thing that the organization is doing is important, is impactful, and is making the world a little bit better. So that was like the primary draw. What's interesting now, I guess, also is feeling like fact might be a really good vantage point to some degree be part of like addressing racial or like gender-based injustice because at least this is a fund that gives a damn about the fact that things are currently like pretty screwed up in that respect and is willing to give me mandate to like you know be part of addressing that whether that's designing processes and house or like joining our investment committee so that somebody can play champion for like founders that otherwise like might be overlooked or might not have a voice or like ring fencing a certain amount of capital so that we can invest a pre-seed stage in underestimated founders. All of that, I didn't know all of this at the beginning, but it felt like the sort of place that just people cared and would be willing to try and would be willing to, even if it's just humoring me, to like indulge me wanting to do like a little bit of running around justicing. And I, yeah, I think that's sort of what, what pulled it in for me. That and also it was yellow. A lot of their brand is yellow, which is my favorite color. It is a very cheerful brand, I have to say. <laughs> um, and so how have the past, I guess, six months been for you, you know, dealing with the, the virus? And then I, I don't think, you know, we can ignore also, you know, the, the protests that have happened in the U.S. And, and in the U.K. and around the world, really. How have you felt about all of those things kind of culminating in, in, in a matter of months? Yeah, it is been pure chaos I think in lots of ways and been a, like a really difficult time but also in, but like it's so it's hard to describe because it was all the things at once like there have been some of the most joyful moments I can remember in a long time in this period some of the most peace, peaceful moments in this period some of the most painful and also just times where I was just completely empty 
and I sort of like, you know, I, I have depression. And so I know anyway that like, I'm the sort of person that ebbs and flows and there'll just be times where I would just run out of steam. And I've had those moments in this, but I've also been able to like spend more time with my partner, spend more time in touch with my, my mom, especially and friends, because it forced everything to stay still. I've also, I, I think, had an opportunity to get really, really close with my colleagues and feel like where I am now is somewhere really special because that tends to happen when you feel like you are going through a period of crisis with a group of people and everybody's all hands in. That builds those sorts of long-term bonds. Like, I don't know where I go in the future, but I can't imagine ever forgetting anybody here, not even forgetting ever being like less than really good friends. So those things have made this feel like almost a privilege to go through and to go through in this particular way which is to be affected by it for sure but just nowhere near what most people and what what a lot of people have gone through like I've been healthy throughout I've kept a job I've had people who use this as a moment to come together and strengthen each other rather than the opposite and so a lot has been great personally but then also a lot of it has been it's almost like the entire world is online and online all the time now because there's nowhere else to bloody go. And so I think the speed at which we discuss things, but also the depth through which we are getting to when we discuss things feels like beyond what it used to be. Like in the wake of Floyd, we didn't just have a racism is really bad. We had structural racism is real or and structural oppression is real. And we have to do something about that. And doing something will mean not just being nominally on the side of justice but actively looking to like overhaul how we do hiring how we do investing how we do whatever it is we do and i've never seen that depth or that level of complexity reached before and how we talk about things and so that's good but i think it's also put so much pressure i feel like i spend all my time thinking um in a way that's actually just exhausting i think and i feel like we all have to have answers for things now and it's put a lot of that into stark relief where all talking about all the politics we're all talking about all the injustice we're all trying to figure out how do you balance knowing what's wrong with the system but also needing to play the game while you're at it and yeah i think it's been all the things inside um and at once but i kind of feel like we're oddly getting into a rhythm of it maybe that's just that's what human beings do right ceaselessly adapt and i'm now kind of expecting i'll have these like highs of it and then i will have lows and that is fine i just need to like let it be fine and maybe even just that itself, right? The fact that we've normalized, like that you will just run out of steam and you'll break down and that's okay. And then you might need to take a day or two here and everybody isn't confused at the idea of a mental health day or confused at the idea of just saying, nothing's wrong, but I'm really, really low and I'm really sad. So it's, yeah, it's been a strange, strange time, but also lots of opportunity has been presented, I think, as a result. Mm. I think that's a really salient point, actually, that there are positive and pejorative impacts of having a culture and like an experience that is much more thoughtful than it's been before I definitely had never put my finger on that but I've definitely felt what you talked about like for example on the one hand it being so intense all the time and you know being so exhausted from thinking about things deeply and in a way that we haven't really had to before but equally that such positive comes out of that and in thinking deeply about things we end up getting to points where, for example, as you rightly point out, like prison abolition becomes a much more mainstream thought process than it has ever been before because people simply couldn't conceptualise of it. And like you kind of have to say, okay, maybe we can take that then. <laughs> if that's what it takes, if we yeah, need to be like, exhausted. Okay. <laughs> like I would, you know, I, I would, I like, it's almost such a weird human instinct of, oof, I'd rather this hadn't happened, but while it's going on, this is a nice upside if we come out of this with 
a better understanding of how we address any of the myriad things that are all exploding all at once, then like so be it. So yeah, and I think I think I'm just resting more and I think I'm enjoying resting more because all of those little bits, like every dinner that you would have run to that you can't now or a random demo day that you can now instead just put on in the background or even just like not attend at all and watch the video later. Um, all of that time that has to be filled. I'm more comfortable than I've ever been filling that with complete nonsense um, and napping. And like I spent 45 minutes today because I realized the meeting that I didn't want to take could have been a, an email and I sent the email. And then I like spent 45 minutes like building a playlist because it's been driving me crazy that there are no like dance playlists that aren't either EDM or like not dance at all. It's like, it's not disco. It's like, what are all those trashy chart music where like you're really sweaty and you're trying to leave the dance floor and then it comes on and you're like, no, I have to stay for this when you go back. That playlist. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And it's so weird that that doesn't exist. And so I spent like 45 minutes starting to build this. And I, I just, I think I was much less forgiving of myself for wanting to do that before. But like if I wasn't either letting my ambitions down, I was certainly letting whatever cause it is that I'm obsessed with currently down. And now I'm like, I cannot come and kill myself because, which is my favorite Nigerian phrase. Actually, no, body no be firewood is my favorite one. Wait, what was the first one? Repeat that. Body no be firewood, which is so bodies are not firewood. They're not right. made. They're not. They weren't made for burning. And like they love not that to be destroyed in some furnace. Like you're supposed yeah. to live. So I, I, I think that's been a part of this too. This forced slow down in some ways mm. and crucially where can we find the playlist <laughs> i will I'll, I'll put it I, yeah i research, actually should share it because apart from anything else i'm definitely missing some songs i only have 60 and they're way more than 60. But i'm going to share it on twitter so tell people to contribute please because i think i'm just going to try and do as many solo dance parties to get through this winter lockdown as i can yeah okay you heard it here we'll do a collaborative effort on the playlist and then we'll have a big silent disco oh <laughs> we'll definitely have to have to push that out but speaking of winter so you're in berlin right now and you moved a few months back no during the yeah, summer started august, okay. end of july started august i think it was like 29th of july definitely. okay okay got it and are you kind of you know, getting to know the ecosystem in Berlin? Are you mainly like still tied to London? How, how is that working out? And also, how do you find Berlin? So the, the second question is probably a little bit easier. I am pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoy the city. I think, not that I thought I would dislike it, but I had no frame of reference either way, no real opinion either way of Berlin. Like I'd been once, but it was like middle of winter, pitch dark. And also I was with 15 friends that I grew up with and we hadn't seen each other in years. So like, you know, that group that is so loud, you become your own bubble. Like I don't actually remember any buildings, anything whatsoever relating to the city apart from being drunk and surrounded by your friends. So getting here and like to moving, especially to like Prenzlau and all these broad streets and like super leafy greens and old buildings, I was like, okay, one, this is nice. But two, I think more so I enjoy that this place is not quite as centralized on work like everything is in about work there are people now that I've known I guess for two months who still have no idea what I do for a living because they've never asked and it just doesn't come up because it doesn't matter to them and and then accordingly it then makes my work matter less on the whole which is really important I think for the sort of person who's like almost overly driven and, and overly ambitious means that at no point will work ever not matter to me at all. I think that that ship has sailed. So it's actually nice to have a counterbalancing pool of life. Well, it's actually not that important. All these people don't care how much, like why, why do you care so much? 
Um, that, and I think there's an odd generosity in this, in this city. People feel like inclined to help each other. I don't know, maybe it's like a hangover from communism and then diluted with some like, I don't know, liberal democracy vibes, but there's like a community feeling to this place without it being that small and still being quite international. Um, and I think that's also reflected in the fact that I struggled a lot in London being like, everyone was talking about work-life balance, sure. And I was struggling with that, but then it felt like I had this third piece of like work-life balance and how do you be responsible for the change that you want to see in the world and how do you balance trying to do activism, whatever it is that means for you and also be really ambitious and successful and also rest and like have loved ones and friends. And I'm like, I don't know if there's any way to solve this equation, but I also feel like I'm, I'm the only one obsessed with it. And that isn't true, but it felt that way in London because it just never seemed to come up unless I brought it up, whereas here feels like that equation to the extent that the work piece is so important anyway, it's on almost everyone's mind or at least maybe at least like our generation within Berlin. So I'm enjoying it a lot, a lot. And as for the ecosystem, I haven't had like a huge amount of exposure, but I've met now, I think about 10 people across like a few different things, mostly because as soon as you say you're somewhere, everyone's like, I have these four people you should meet. So I've been trying to ration myself to a certain degree because I think midway through lockdown, I was like, I'm not making any new friends or taking on any new relationships because I cannot sustain anymore. I'm at my limit and there should be a bouncer at the door because I only know how to engage with people by being helpful and there are only so many things I can do in a day. But I've still ended up saying yes to like lots of coffee dates and I've met wonderful people. So I couldn't describe the ecosystem in any particular way because it doesn't feel like I've met enough people to know that. But people I have met I've really enjoyed and I think this place will continue the the trend that had already started in London of like my work and my life just kind of being one there isn't really a distinction I build community for work I build communities for for like for joy and if I meet someone that I think um, I really want to spend time with I inevitably also think wow this person could be really helpful for BACT and I don't I don't think there's probably going to be a point where that switches off even if I did something else I think that will probably still be the way that I behaved uh, but the city seems to have well in line with that everyone that I've met in a work context also like we should have a dinner and I'm like we should <laughs> um, so I will see how it goes but so far I'm really happy here and I think we'll I think I'll probably even be okay through a lockdown as long as people can come over and play board games I think I'll be fine I love that you are operating a one-in-one-out system of friendship <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, who can go? Who can I call? Maybe that never happens. I'll just be like, oh, but they're so nice. <laughs> Maybe I should mess. Like in the personal CRM, like, mm, <laughs> we'll get rid of them. <laughs> no, I think, I think most of what it's been was just like not sweating it so much. Me like, what can I control here? I can either try and control the actual volume of people in my life. And I realistically don't think I'm going to be able to do that. I'm just not a person who will say no to meeting people or like not immediately absorb someone that I enjoy. So I'm like, okay, well, the only other option then is I can try and control how I feel about the fact that the consequence of having too many people, if you will, um, in my orbit and the consequences that I'm going to drop some balls. And I'm like, okay, well, that I can try and focus on. Like, can I just make my peace with the fact that I'm going to fuck some things up? I'm going to let some people down. And when it happens, I just need to like own it and apologize and just try and fix it as best I can. And so I think that's been working so far as I'm like, well, it happened. <laughs> Now, now what do we do? And if it really is the worst case scenario with that thing that I did and that not coming through for them was so terrible that our relationship is over, then like that really, really sucks. But then that is just the price that I have to pay for the fact that I'm lucky enough. There are so many people that I want to hold close and I want to I take care of. And so far, no one has actually really walked away, which is itself interesting. Like I missed somebody's wedding by accident because 
I just, I landed from a flight and I just passed out. And then I woke up and just forgot that they existed, that anyone existed or indeed that the wedding existed. And then they sent me a message and I, I've never been so ashamed in my life. I think I could still, I like, it like hurts a little bit every time I think of it because it was such a small intimate wedding. There wasn't even room for my partner to come. And I, and so you could just see my chair, my empty chair throughout the ceremony and is, is just awful. And they are still friends with me. So <laughs> there you go then that's testament wow. to what a great friend you must be <laughs> I, I just cringed for you like <laughs> retrospectively all over my face is so hot now just <laughs> um one thing that kind of ties I guess with what you said about you know this this activism thing and it seems to be a bit of like a thread you know like you, you join Banked for you know that one of the the big reasons of let's kind of improve our little patch of earth that you know we occupy for a certain amount of time and then you noting it again when you move to Berlin and and how it's just sort of on on everyone's mind how big of a focus would you say that is for the investors at Bax? because you know we, we do have entrepreneurs and founders and potential founders listening to this and so when is it right for them to say okay I want to fundraise when should I go to back? When is it relevant? Um, can you flesh that out a little bit? That's a, that's a good question. There's sort of two things wrapped up in that though. And I think one of the interesting things about back is I constantly have to correct people that like, it isn't a social impact fund. It isn't a diversity fund. And as much as those things might be deeply important to me and also deeply important to individuals in the fund, it is primarily just your, I shouldn't say average because that makes it sounds like it isn't special, but it is you know, you're relatively standard. Are you building something exceptional at seed stage? We would love to meet you. and We'd love to, you know, potentially partner with you. I think where it felt to me like that, the thread um, of change and, you know, impact beyond just sort of like financial returns emerged was because there is, and there is still such a focus on the founders and both like we invest because we think the founders are exceptional no matter what it is they happen to be building, which is why we still haven't limited the sectors that we focus on all this time, right? Despite having had, I think, lots of opportunity to figure out what are the things we really enjoy. We've still left it agnostic so that if we meet an exceptional founder, we'll follow them to whatever weird thing it is that they're building in whatever weird sector it happens to be going on. And I think where the question though of like how important is diversity, how important is activism, how, how important is social good beyond just you're building something great in general, I think it's that it's important to us as people. And so we try to bring that alive in terms of picking things that we're really excited about the impact that they will have. So it's almost like you can only do 10 or so, maybe 15 or so investments in a year anyway. You're going to see way more things that deserve, if you will, to be invested or investable than that. So if you really had to pick, then it's like, what are the things you'd be most excited to see realized in 10 or 15 years? What would you be proud to have been part of? And of course, you know, even for people who aren't necessarily like identify as like social justice activists or, you know, social impact allied people, we still as human beings get most excited about things that we think change everything for the better, help people shift things. And so, yeah, we end up getting drawn to those sort of like big subjects like, you know, therapy, like cancer therapeutics more recently, or like food tech and being and having potentially a huge impact um, in solving for food scarcity. And so, it's less that you shouldn't come to us unless you are doing something that you might align with. You know, social impact, that's certainly not the case, but it's more, 
we've inevitably picked people that we think are exceptional. And we also think that the things that they're building just make us really excited about the future and it's a little bit more hopeful. And then with specific regard to diversity, we're also just really aware that at least, you know, I've made it clear in the fund that intention about wanting to diversify the landscape doesn't matter because Alex and Andre have always been wonderfully intentioned, but we still have a portfolio that's like 86% white men or something like that at last check. And so there is an awareness now that it's not just about as individuals being anti-racist or feminist or whatever. It's about thinking what are the structures that go into how we source, how we diligence, and you know, ultimately how we make that final call and how are they preferencing the sort of default category of founders over others and how is it that we aren't investing more women or aren't investing more people of color, aren't investing more black founders. And so I think we'll see some change in that regard. And I would be hugely encouraging anyone listening to us that is from an under underestimated background to reach out to us and not, you know, maybe take the fact that the investment team in a lot of the materials, because we don't have new ones out yet, looks like two white dudes from Oxbridge because it is, or that a lot of the portfolio looks like people who also look like them. It's happened because they didn't make concrete plans to bring their sort of intentions to bear, but it is changing because I've been responsible for building that strategy. They've really committed to rolling out that strategy. And I think we're going to see a lot of change, not least because if nothing else, while we're doing better on the seed front, we're also like aligning ourselves with raising up the founders that come earlier stage, because we know that if there isn't enough capital at that earlier piece, you just don't see enough at seed. And so we're going to co-invest alongside 10x10 with Andy Davis and a few others, just to make sure that this, you know, this time next year, we're not looking at 10, maybe black founders across the board or 15 people of color. Um, and rather looking at higher volumes and then also taking in more of those volumes because we've done our homework. And just on the topic of the investment team, um, one of the questions that we try and ask so that our listeners who are interested in getting into VC can have a bit of a head start on some things is whether the fund that you work for is hiring at the moment or has plans to in the future. Is that something that Bact is thinking about? So we just took on, you know, a full-time associate at the start of the year. So there aren't immediate plans to hire for an associate, at least. We do want to bring on a third partner in the like very near future. It's actually something we're going to think about for this year before sort of COVID and everything changed and we sort of like changed up strategy accordingly. So we will be taking on a partner soon. And then I think after that, we would then be looking for another associate, but that's not happening very, very, very soon. So, you know, Definitely, if anybody wants to send a CV, Rachel is really diligent about keeping those on file and so kind of ready to reach out to if and when that changes. But I don't want to sort of mislead anyone in that regard. That said, you know, we keep sort of changing up strategy in the operational side of things, like how many hands do we really need to pull off some of the more ambitious things we've come up with on like founder support or brand um, or even community and network. And so there might be an operational hire um, in the near future, but we like that's still like an internal decision about you know, either relying on more like automation or more outsourcing or rather sort of consolidating all the, all the various bits that need to be done into a role. So I guess watch the space that is the job section of our website in case anything changes. But right now, um, assume no. Oh, okay. So keep an eye on the job section. There may be an interesting operational opportunity in the future. There also yeah. may not, but feel free to check the CV. And <laughs> <laughs> Daisy, one more thing. How do people get in touch with you, whether it's great advisors or even founders or great talent that are looking for their next gig? What's the best way? So 
the best way is to start with the website because from there you can sort of find your way through. It kind of depends if you're looking to pitch back and, and hopefully, you know, get investment, then there is now like a really handy form to do so. So if you just email info at that, the form will come back to you. And then if you fill that out, that gets filtered through and Pascal and I review that um, on a weekly basis. So that's, you know, for pitching, if it's sort of to reach out to me specifically, either to you know, talk diversity or to maybe get involved in the community, um, LinkedIn is fine. It's just Stacey Onigov and, you know, I don't think you can miss me. I think I'm the only one with that name that comes up. Um, or Twitter is also fine. I do check my DMs regularly um, or even email to Stacey at that, which, you know, I used to worry about restricting. I realized it's like the easiest email to decipher in the world. So it's not particularly hidden. <laughs> um, and I'm happy to like direct people as sort of needed because I think sometimes people reach out to me for things to do with founder support or, or to be hired into our portfolio. And it's a lot better to talk to Sonia about that, but I'm happy to redirect. If it is straight up, though, that they're just looking for, their, for a job at one of our portfolio companies, we have a jobs board. Again, you can find it through our website. Um, and you can see all of the openings across, I think, all 37 portfolio companies that have signed up to it and apply directly. Awesome. Cool. cool. And so um, you talked a lot about connecting with people and kind of not doing them favors, but sort of, you know, helping them out and always wanting to give. Is there anything that you're looking for at the moment? So in terms of if anyone's listening who was going to get in touch with you, who would you really like to hear from? What do you need right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess right now I'm trying to fiddle a lot with designing like or improving on our no-code app, but in general, just building good automotive processes that make things a little bit easier. Um, so I realized so much of why venture is so slow is that things just happen manually. But a lot of it is just me learning on my own as I go on. So if anybody has a lot of experience with building no-code apps, if anyone has a lot of experience with playing with data, especially around gathering community data using you know, graph theory to understand how the network is healthy and how it's behaving how people are behaving anything around that so that would be very helpful i don't have like a computational background or a particularly tech heavy background so i'm just a quick learner who's fiddling around but i'm always happy to like hear how people have hacked together their own tools or solutions or like zap worlds of like automations that make things a little bit better um, and if anyone has tips like that, they can just reach out to me on, on Twitter and I'll be very grateful. But apart from that, I don't really, and even that, that's more just, that happens to be something I'm working on right now, but I don't think, I don't think there's anything else unless anybody knows how to live in a capitalist world and be successful, but then also dismantle it from the inside. That would also be very helpful. <laughs> that's a high ask, but we, now that we've put it out there, you might find an interesting match. <laughs> so. Thank you to all of our listeners so much for tuning in to Associated. Remember that you can get uh, updates on the latest guests and episodes over on Twitter. We are at associated underscore pod. Or if you have thoughts on the podcast or ideas for people that we should really have on, you are very welcome to email us on associatedpodcast at gmail.com. And please do subscribe and leave us a quick rating wherever you are listening to this podcast. Uh, it really helps us out. We really appreciate it. And we will see you next week.